Ayers on the Road, Parenting in a Modern World. Here's Richard and Linda Iyer. Okay, here we are, Ayers on the Road. It's a beautiful day. We happen to be at Bear Lake today getting ready for a family reunion. And uh, I have to tell you, Linda, that um, someone came up the other day and said, oh, I listen to you every week on Tires on the Road. (laughs) (laughs) I said, well, you know, that's interesting because we usually use that term to mean we're traveling a lot on airplanes, (laughs) but we have been driving a lot lately, so Tires on the Road would be just fine. It'd be pretty good. (laughs) Um, That's funny. Um, we did, we have been uh, burning up the road between Salt Lake and Bear Lake. Uh, we've kind of calmed down from Moscow and uh, Dubai and all that. And um, we've had fun just being here and enjoying this beautiful place. Another another person commented on the show. I was at a, at a party and he said, you know, I tune in every week and it's always exciting to know if you've been in somewhere like um, – Paris or London or Moscow, or if you've been in Montpelier, Idaho, <laughs> you, you never know what you'll get on this show. Right. Because I'm, be from, I'm from Montpelier, Idaho. So <laughs> we spend a lot of time talking about that too. However, we do have a Paris within uh, oh, eight miles of my house. Oh, we've got a Paris, Idaho. That's true. Good Geneva. point. Well, um, and I always say, Linda. And we have Bern. Oh, Bern. Yeah. We, I always say you can you can take the girl out of Montpelier, but you can't take Montpelier out of the girl. <laughs> so Linda gets over here and she she goes and buys the the little weekly paper and reads up on the news and she listens to KVSI, which is one of the most entertaining radio stations in the world. <laughs> it is. <laughs> they I- have things on there like Tradio, where people call in and say. Well, I've got an old uh, used pair of ice skates I want to get rid of if I can just get $3 for them. <laughs> well, welcome to rural America. I know. I love it. I love it. It is so great. In fact, on Saturday mornings, it's the Cowboy Poetry Show. And we love that. Oh, boy. We both love that. That, that comes so on. great. We can't figure out how to get it when we're not up here in Idaho. But Cowboy Poetry. It is awesome. Oh, last week it was about this poor little pony that lost his best friend, and he was looking <laughs> everywhere for him, and he actually died of a broken heart. They found him actually dead, and he died of a broken heart. And it's not funny because Did horses Did you cry do, when you heard that? Yeah, it was so sweet. Horses do have feelings, too, you know, and they have buddies. We have two horses up here, and they um, are hanging together all the time They can't every be separated. Day. And so, you know, they... They just uh, they just touch the heart on the things the essence of life. So again, to set the stage, uh, we assume sometimes that people have listened to us before and they know what's going on. But we do this show every week, and we call it Irons on the Road because we have the, the really amazing privilege of traveling throughout the world, speaking to parents and families and marriage partners, and we spend a lot of time thinking about how families can be stronger and how they can be strengthened, including our own family. And we're coming up now on our annual family reunion. We know a lot of you who are listening have family reunions, and they're always a mixed bag. They're they're wonderful, mostly, but there's always little things that are hard and difficult and relationships that don't go just as you'd like and so on. But we're also, at this particular time, excited about a, a, a brand new book, actually three books that we're 
working on. Linda's working on one on grandmothering. I've just finished one on grandfathering. And then just out of the blue, I've finally done a book of poetry. And uh, no, that's don't, not don't laugh too hard. Don't, that's don't out of laugh your head for a lot of years, unless you think your head is blue. Well, <laughs> I, I have always loved poetry. In fact, let me lead in. We're going to read you some poems about family today. And the reason we want to do that is because families are all about emotion. And I think the purpose of poetry is really to elicit emotion and to help us to think of things in a little deeper way sometimes. But, you know, one of the best things we ever did when our kids were young, Linda, is we hired a poet to come to our house and teach our kids the rudiments of writing poetry. And that only lasted for a few months. And yet I think it was a kind of a golden time in our family. Our kids, you know, children are natural poets. If you get them into the idea of expressing things in words and creating pictures in words, and, and some of the poems they wrote during that little period were quite remarkable. Um, I actually, I just ran onto those poems yesterday. You're kidding. And I started reading them. Yeah, they're so sweet. In fact, I'm going to go get them. Well, do you want to get them during the break or do you want to wait? No, because we'll be past the subject. Oh, okay. Well, anyway, uh, while Linda's getting those poems written by our children, my new book, which will be in the stores in September, and my only, my one and only, my first and maybe last book of poetry, uh, is just called, for want of a better title, Poems About Family and Favorites. And it's, it includes poems I've struggled with and written over many, many years. I come by my love for poetry somewhat naturally. My grandfather, Dan Swenson in Logan, Utah, was a poet. In fact, he actually translated, he was Swedish, and he not only wrote poems of his own, he translated poetry from Swedish to English, which is pretty incredible when you think about it, Linda. I mean, to make a, to, to, to translate anything from one language to another seems to me a Herculean task. But to translate poetry and preserve the meter and the rhyme and the alliteration and the assonance and everything in, in another language seems almost impossible. And then his daughter who is my mother's sister, uh, is, a, is a famous poet named Mae Swenson, arguably one of the most famous poets in America in the last century. So I love poetry. I love to read it. I love to think about it. I think it's a dying art in our, in our society. Fewer people read poetry, I think, than in earlier times. And we need poetry. It's a beautiful art form. And I think it lends itself specifically and particularly to family situations. Well, it does. And, and you know what it does is brings out the emotion inside you that ordinarily you wouldn't be able to express if you didn't have to put it down on paper. And this teacher was brilliant to bring out emotions in children. And let me just read just a couple quickly here from a couple of our kids this one is Joshua, and I don't know how old he was. I'm guessing. Been. I'm guessing he was probably not more than seven or eight, or maybe nine. Maybe I don't know. Maybe nine. Um, anyway, uh, this is what he writes. The, the subject was vacation, and then they talked about ways to express about how you feel about a vacation. I think they were talking about 
a summer vacation. Mm. This is pretty interesting. Vacation is a bored tiger getting freed from his nasty cage. <laughs> vacation is a raccoon freeing itself from a hunter's trap. Vacation is your friend getting out of jail. Vacation is a tree letting its leaves and branches blow free in the cool breeze. Vacation is playing my favorite free song on the piano. A nine-year-old or an eight-year-old. I love that, that. It really is incredible because he is pretty happy to be out of school. <laughs> yeah. like, but expressed in ways he never would have thought of. A bored tiger getting free from his nasty cage. <laughs> <laughs> that, that kind of sounds like Josh, but I never would have imagined that he could write that. That is really amazing. You want to read one more? Here's one more by a daughter who kind of struggled with finding friends that she felt safe with as we all did I felt this way when I was her age she might have been 12 maybe and uh, it really expresses deeply uh, what she feels loneliness looks like a rocking chair in the wind rocking to and fro it has a smell of rotting leaves and makes me sad it's an orphan child it's ugly curtains that I hate it sounds like mournful cries from the depths of the earth. It is senseless. It feels like frostbite. It is no one's friend. It lives everywhere, yet nowhere at all. It is the neglected garden. It wears a black hat. It tastes like burned porridge. It is by me day and night and tries to kill my friend. It is an hourglass with no sand. It is a piece of torn paper thrown away. I really can't care a bit. Wow. <laughs> That's pretty deep. Wow. I think now I'm sort of sad you read some of those kids' poems because now I'm intimidated to read mine. <laughs> <laughs> um, your poems are beautiful, and this really is a fun new book. In fact, uh, Richard has an aunt who is a world-famous I mentioned poet. that while you were gone to get that. And, and she, in her book, she does some shapes, and, and Richard actually has some shapes, and I noticed in your book, and, and uh, there's a shape of a tennis racket on one, there's a shape of a swing, which I'm going to read in just a minute, a back-and-forth lines, which is really fun to see. Well, again, putting it in context, I think what we're saying is that um, there's a place for poetry in families, one place is to help kids express themselves through poetry. Poetry is used as therapy now in, in some areas where we're trying to get someone to bring out their deepest feelings. And I think that's what showed in what you just read, Linda. But it's also something for parents and grandparents to, to try to capture the emotion that sometimes exists within families. Um, this new book opens with, with a poem called 180, which explains what I'm trying to do in the book. Uh, I'll read it quickly. What happened was, after 50 books, I got tired of writing prose. Or maybe I just wanted to change, or I got put off by the potential for prescriptiveness in prose. Or perhaps I was humbled or right-brain tugged toward wanting to observe more than to teach. Whatever it was, I turned 70 and started anew. Prose to poetry is not a little shift in style. It is a 180. You don't write poems. You capture them. You don't create them. You can't even look for them. They come to you. As Pablo Neruda said, and it was at this age, poetry arrived in search of me. I think that's true for you. You think in poetry a lot, which is just so interesting. 
about every other day, he says, I think I'll write a poem about that. He, you have hundreds of poems in this, and you still have hundreds of poems in your head coming in search of you. Here's another another one at the beginning of the book trying to explain what I'm doing here. There are two ways of writing, prose to explain and poetry to feel. There are two ways of thinking, left brain logic and right brain intuition. There are two ways of knowing, senses and the empirical and spirit and the inspirational. There are two ways of doing, physical force and mental fashioning. There are two ways of building, mechanical technology and organic chords. There are two ways of creating, work and plan and watch and pray. Perhaps we come here into mortality to learn the firsts so that we can appreciate and gradually gravitate toward the seconds. So that's kind of my, I felt like I almost had to explain why does someone who's written prose all his life make a shift and, and try to write some poetry. And part of it is because I think it's a way to capture children and the emotions that go with them. Do you want to read the swing one, Linda, and then we'll take a brief break and we'll come back and talk more about poetry and families. Um, this is going to take more than a minute. Maybe we should um, do this after the break. Um, okay, read a shorter one then for now. How about this one right here on a baby, a new baby? Oh, I love this one. You know, we've all we've all had those that new baby experience, and you look at them and they look so awkward. They're just kind of socking the air all the time and wiggling around and unorganized. And this is such a fun poem because think about this. It's called New. They say if you slow-mo the jerky hand jabs, they look graceful. They feel new air reach unconsciously for where they used to be. They are two weeks out of the womb. They say it's the newborn's helplessness that attracts. They look new, almost alien, yet they are the most perfect of our species and they make us new again. These new ones, they depend on us for diapers, dinner, and direction. But they teach us, too, and they give us more than they take. So true. You need to remember that when you're up at 3 a.m. with a new baby. Well, let's take a brief break, and we'll be right back on Ours on the Road talking about a different subject, poetry, and how it relates to families. We'll be right back. And we're back talking about poetry and writing poems about children. Sometimes it makes sense as a parent to write a poem just in order to capture a moment. You may never read it to anyone else. No one else may ever see it. But it may be a way to capture how you felt at a certain moment. Well, I think it makes you see things in a new light and um, appreciate what you're looking at. Because we take so much for granted when we see a beautiful day like this. You wake up every morning saying, what a beautiful day, even if it's raining. Um, Rain is beautiful. I am married to a perpetual optimist, which is yet sometimes annoying. But um, it really it really is great to really look at what you're doing, think now, about what you're doing. Now, this poem Linda's going to read is actually a bit of a story. So after you read it, we'll, we'll tell you the story. Okay. Maybe you should tell a story first. No, I think after. You go ahead. All right. This is called Swing. And this is the one I was referring to in the first half about the, the motion going back and forth. It's written like it looks like a swing. 
Children swing out toward the sky into the abyss. We are their rope and their tire, and we push them. In Virginia, we had a high rope, long arc swing hanging from a high locust tree in our woods. It produced a lot of joy. It tickles my tummy, two-year-old Shawnee used to say. When we learned that we were moving to England, one of her first questions was, can we bring our swing? Don't worry, there are tons of lots of tall trees with high branches in England. And when we arrived, we found that there weren't any, at least not in the garden. The best we could do was to hang three short swings from three of four arms of a rotating clothesline frame. I hope you got that picture in your mind. Pushing the fourth arm, I could create a revolving merry-go-round swing. It was only a stopgap measure. Shawnee still wondered when the little sapling in the garden would grow big enough for a high swing. Two years later, on an early spring day, I sat in my den, closing a deal. Shawnee and Josh burst in, excited and breathless. Dad, we were exploring past our back fence, and over the little hill is the most beautiful back garden, and a nice man called Mr. Godwin lives there, and he has so many tall trees. After a short chat with Mr. Godwin, made persuasive by the jumping and hand clapping of two little girls and one little boy, and a quick trip to the hardware store for rope and wood, and after several back-breaking attempts to throw a rope-tied rock over a 40-foot limb, the children had their swing. I understood as Josh's laughter peeled from his first long, slow arc that made that swing that making that swing mattered more than closing that deal. Much of life is like a swing, a pendulum, time flying, build what lasts, push what matters, hold on tight to family. And that's so that, very long. So that, I guess it kind of tells its own story, but we were living in England for three years and uh, building that swing, if I were to look back, might be the most important thing I ever did the whole time we were there. <laughs> um, well, there was a lot of great times, but that was one of the greatest. That's one of our kids' greatest memories. We still talk about Mr. Godwin's swing. Let me read you a poem called Trunks. Again, trying to grasp what happens in people's minds as parents. And again, this is how this one happens also to be from England. I walked in an English wood today. 200-year-old beech trees towered a foot for every year. High, delicate branches cutting and filtering the slanting sunlight as it illuminates the green of every blade of grass, every clump of moss. I'd gone there to think about my family, to assess how each is doing and how I was doing as a father, as a husband. At the crest of the hill, I met a larger beach, an old patriarch with a trunk eight feet thick, so imposing that I sat down back to a smaller tree and listened with my eyes and my mind for any message the patriarch might teach. Its trunk was like a hundred round strong cords, each as big as my leg, curling up from a root and swinging out above as a branch. The trunk detailed the connections between roots and branches. The trunk was the connection. I am a trunk with roots and branches. The branches gain nourishment and strength through the trunk, 
from the roots. The roots in darkness take light from the leaves. They each give the deep wisdom of the roots, the fresh wonder of the boughs. I am the trunk. Each lives because of the other. Neighboring cousins help too because trees cross-pollinate. There's harmony and beauty in a tree and joy. I am a trunk. I am a trunk. I am a trunk. I think that's a, a way to think about ourselves and the connections between our, our roots and our branches. Well, that really is true. In fact, we have that personified in this house. We have a tree that the kids helped me paint with a big trunk um, in the middle and our pictures on the trunk and the branches are our kids. And then those branches that go out are their kids. Then down below are the roots and we have actually 16 ancestors down there yeah, yeah. Um, who have nourished us and given us so much through our lives. I guess if I'm a if I'm a budding poet, Linda, you're a budding artist because that's your oil painting of a tree. Well, I, <laughs> if that's in my attempt at art, I'm, it's really scary. <laughs> um, but it really is interesting to think about that visually. Let me read you one called Family Geometry. See if this prompts some some thoughts uh, for some of you, particularly who are you are a little older listening today. Today, my son Noah, this is called family geometry, by the way. Today, my son Noah is half as old as I am at 2.12 p.m. exactly. He is 36 years and five days. I am 72 and 10 days. It's our crossover day. From now on, his years will be more than half of mine. Any chance of making it to two-thirds? The first time that crossover happened, my first daughter was 25 and I was 50. The last time will be when baby Charity is 42 and I'm 84. It got me thinking. Together, Linda and I are 141 and our children, ages combined, are 348, which means that in a year we will be 500. (laughs) Add the grandkids, and we are close to 800 years. And because numbers now grow geometrically, we'll surpass 1,000 total years in less than a decade. And by then, great-grandkids, exponential growth, four generations, 100 unique individuals, and in one more decade, it could double again. And me, a young Non, non-Aragon or non-Aragerian. <laughs> I was trying to think Can't of a word for writing. octogenarian, <laughs> but it's for nine, so non-Aragerian. Non-Aragerian, yeah. And then the last line of the poem: "I'm motivated to stick around and see it all." <laughs> That's a lot of years, honey. You've just divulged your age, and mine too, if they could think fast enough. Here's a kind of a related one, which relates to uh, it's July right now as we're doing this show, early July. And this is a poem about something that's happening to us this summer. Uh, It's called Our Own Day of 47. For those of you who lived in Utah, you know, the days of 47 is the big deal around here because that's the day the pioneers came in. So this is our own day. This is our own day of 47. 
we have a summer holiday period here in Utah honoring the pioneers who came into the Salt Lake Valley in 1847, July 24th. We call it Days of 47. This year on that day, we're having our own day of 47. Two graph lines starting together at four, four years married, four in family, us and two baby daughters. Next year, first son kept at level of five and five, but then the years started surpassing the people. Babies couldn't keep up. A widening gap with one line steady and diagonal, the other jumping, sagging, wiggling, peaks and dips lagging behind. Then grandkids kicked in, turning the tide, sweeping the soul count up, steepening the line until it intersected. So that we are on this Pioneer Day totally even on our 47th anniversary. There are 47 of us, and it's the 47th anniversary. So it's our day of, 46, day of 47. Let me read you one I wrote quite a long time ago as a young father, see if some of you would relate to this. I guess all fathers have felt what I'm feeling now. I hope they have, flying home after business. How much I miss my kids. Eyes closed, I can predict my re-entry. Daddy's home, it's daddy, four-year-old Josh will squeal when he hears the car in the garage. He and two-year-old Sadie will drag me to the floor for a little rough and tumble. Six-month-old baby Jonah will just stare and then smile and then kick his little feet. The two older girls will wait their turn and in a quiet moment tell me what's happened. Here in the air, Absence not only makes the heart fonder, it blocks all the crying and the mischief from the memory and makes the missing father resolve. I won't be impatient. I'll show the love I feel. I'll take the time. Almost home, don't let the plane crash. Can this father joy, the missing, the feeling, the pride, flow as sweet and as pure from any other source? That's a good one. And that's what more fathers need to do. And you did that a lot. Um, not every day, but um, uh, a lot. And because you had that in your mind, it was really nice. I wanted to just one really short one, because sometimes the purpose for poetry is just to capture things that you don't want to forget. How many times have you had a little kid say something and say, I should write that down? You know, I should really write that down. But you can do it in the form of a, of a poem. So this happened at Christmas um, with, a, with our little four-year-old. Saren, whose birthday is it on Christmas? Well, Jesus's, of course. Right. And why did Jesus come? To teach us how to be nice and to show us how it'll work when we die. Okay, very good. Did he do anything else? Well, he set up a proper church. Yes, he did. And what happened to that church after he was gone? I think it got a bit muddled. So what did he do about that? Well, after a while, he came back down here and put it right. That's a British accent on a four-year-old. <laughs> yeah, I wish you could have done that in a British accent because our children, and we lived in England for three years, had perfect British accents and um, perfect British mentality. <laughs> 
it was really an exciting time. But then they came home and wanted to, you know, sound like the other kids. So within two months, they were they back were to changed. the old American accent. Well, thanks for uh, this is a different. We, we usually talk about what you might call more practical things in families, parenting and marriage and so on. But I actually think sometimes the thing we need more of in our families is feeling and the ability to express those feelings. You know, there was a, an ad campaign years ago on the radio and the TV that was called, if you love them, tell them. You know, don't hold things in, express, learn to express your feelings to your children. One way of maybe training yourself to do a better job at that is to try a poem now and then. Write a poem about a feeling you have within your family. And it may preserve the feeling, and it may even intensify the feeling. So as we attempt these summer months, that's our challenge to you. Think about what you're looking at, and whether it's nature or whether it's your children and your family, and really appreciate that. Sit down and write a little poem. It really does your mind a lot of good, and your kids and your family as well. So we wish you the very best. Thanks for being with us, and we'll see you next time on Ayers on the Road. Bye-bye.